Boom. Awesome. Uh, that's something I always forget. So Deb already covered this one. Um, so uh, today's talk, we're looking at chiogen. Uh, so we're looking at finding wastewater, uh, finding the dominant strain in wastewater samples. Um, legal disclaimer, obviously, this is a product intended for molecular biology and not uh, intended for diagnosis, prevention, or treatment of a disease. Um, and then the last sort of uh, what I like to refer to as sort of housekeeping. A um, couple things here is just, uh, you know, if you wouldn't mind using the raise hand, if you will, um, for show of, you know, questions if we need to. Um, additionally, if you have a question, please use the Q&A rather than the chat. Um, I'm going to be able to have the Q&A open in like a different dialogue, and I know my colleague Araceli will also be uh, keeping an eye on that as well. Um, so questions and, and whatnot, please use the Q&A. Please do not use the chat, okay? All right, perfect. So um, I have a lot to cover, I think. Um, so today's agenda, uh, really briefly, just sort of some of the benefits, uh, goals of, of testing wastewater. Um, and then what I want to do is really jump into the application and talk about how we can use the, the genomics workbench for like assembling, calling variants, creating consensus sequence uh, that we would then, you know, potentially upload or use Pangolin to do identification for those strains. Again, when we talk about wastewater, I feel like there's a couple other, you know, challenges or, or uh, uh, yeah, we'll call them challenges. Uh, that one may want to sort of ask the data or are challenged with uh, that being like looking for, you know, evidence of emerging strains uh, within some of those samples. So, you know, the ability to create maybe a reference database for a given um, a strain or variant um, and then being able to test your mapping files against those, we'll call it reference databases to see if there are low frequency mutations from those other given um, strains within your sample or in your mapping file. Um, there could be a couple other odds and ends and really kind of time dependent. Um, my goal really today is going to be giving you, you know, how to do this in the workbench, uh, as much detail as I possibly can and fitting everything within. I'm gonna shoot for about an hour and 20 minutes or so, uh, maybe slightly less just to give everyone enough time to potentially ask questions. Again, I will keep an eye on the Q&A as we go along. Um, so if you have questions, uh, feel free to ask uh, as we progress. All right, so some benefits uh, or why we, you know, the goals of using wastewater for, um, for testing purposes. Um, obviously, it allows uh, for a very efficient way of monitoring the epidemiology within um, a case, uh, catch basin or a case, uh, catch, uh, catchment area. Um, so depending on you know, how large an, uh, an area is for the wastewater treatment plant, I mean, you're getting a, a sense of a, a good um, representation of you know, what is the dominant strain within that community or population. Um, the samples are readily available, right? You know, it's not like you're really asking for those samples, um, right? I mean, you're really just testing uh, the water that's available. And again, one of the other things that it does, it actually avoids a bias, right? So if you can imagine that if we're only sequencing patients, well, you're only going to be sequencing the patients that, you know, go to, the, go to seek treatment A and then B, not only that, but you're probably not sequencing all of those patients, right? So... It, it, when we talk about like, you know, patient sequencing for, you know, uh, from the purpose of sort of getting a sense of what's going on within a community, 
um, it is definitely a biased sort of approach. And so when we talk about wastewater sampling, you know, uh, it is it is completely unbiased. It is going to be you know really capturing what's going on within that community. Um, you know, there's always lots of jokes to be made when we talk about like wastewater uh, treatment. I have three long, three little children, and I can always remember that book, like Everyone Poops, right? So when we talk about it, you know, you're getting a sample or a representation from everybody, um, at least with uh, within that community. All right. So what our goal uh, for finding that dominant strain within the wastewater sample, um, what we need to do is install the genomics, uh, install the biomedical genomics plugin. I'm going to talk about importing reads, uh, introduce you to the data that I'm going to run today or look at today, um, talk about how we can run the appropriate pre-built workflows. Uh, we'll review some of the results that we get from that workflow. Um, of course, talk about how we get data out of the application uh, and bring it into sort of Pangolin for strain identification. So we'll use that as sort of our, our base uh, workflow for, you know, really identifying the strains that we have uh, within our sample. Um, one thing, I'm, you know, I, I have some slides for some of these components just because I, you know, it didn't really feel like going through every last uh, bit within the application. But we have, you know, plugins on a whole host of those uh, available for the genomics workbench. For installing those plugins, in the upper right-hand corner of the workbench, there's a plugin manager. Uh, one thing to keep in mind, if you are a Windows user, you do need to run the workbench as the admin. If you don't, you may... Let me get my laser pointer on. Uh, it, so the plugin manager up here, once you click on the plugin manager, it will open up this dialog box. If you had not run the workbench as an admin, you may see that you do not have sufficient privileges to install those plugins. Again, if that's the case, close the workbench, right-click on the, the icon and say run as admin. Now, once we uh, get into the plugin manager, there's two places that we can look at, managing our plugins. So that's all of the ones that we already have installed. And then you can see here, downloading plugins. So in order to run the workflows, that pre-built workflow I'm referring to, it is a portion of this plugin, the bio, Biomedical Genomics Analysis plugin, and we can easily install this. It's freely available for the Genomics Workbench. So again, we clicked on plugins, we're in the download plugin manager, and I'm downloading this Biomedical Genomics Analysis plugin. Once you've installed it and closed this dialog box, you will be asked if you wanna restart the workbench, you will need to restart the workbench in order for that plugin to in those tools to become available within the, the application. All right. So something I wasn't necessarily going to cover in the workbench just because I have that plugin installed and it makes it a pain to uninstall it, install it, restart my workbench um, in that time. So um, additionally, uh, for when I talk about importing reads, uh, today's data that I'm going to be looking at came from SRA, and I'll get into more detail on that in just a moment. Um, but for importing reads, uh, there's an import function in the top toolbar. That tends to be where I will import my data. You can see that there's many different import types of functions that we can do. I try to outline them in my uh, in the right-hand side here, like standard importers, like your traditional bioinformatics file, right? Like GenBank, uh, things along those lines. Tracks are really our GFF, VCF, bed types of files that we would be bringing into the application. And of course, what we'd be talking about maybe in today's case is bringing in Illumina reads. Um, and so if, depending on whatever sequencing vendor you have, you would potentially select 
the appropriate vendor, and then you know be presented with a wizard dialog box after that. And so you can see once you say, "Hey, I'm importing Illumina data," it would just say, "Well, wh what, what, where is that data? Um, are you bringing in a whole folder, or do you want to select specific files to bring in?" And so really, you know, when it comes to importing data, you know, it, it, very similar to like opening up a Word document. A um, couple other options though would just be, you know, if it's paired reads, you do need to make sure you check that box off so that way it interleaves uh, the files and turns them into one object. And so in this example, you can see I have an R1 and an R2 for every sample. And that's why this would be denoted as a paired set of data. So uh, that being said, I uh, just wanted to kind of set the you know little lay of the land for you know bringing in data, bringing in that plugin. Um, but I really want to point out where, where today's data came from. Um, and for today's data, I brought everything in from SRA, and we did this from directly within the application uh, through just a, a download and searching for reads at SRA, and then putting in specific search terms. At this point in time, I kind of want to go back and forth between my workbench and um, my slides, just because I think looking at the application live is always beneficial. Um, so if we talk about the genomics workbench, for instance, move my Zoom stuff. Uh, when we look at the genomics workbench, I had mentioned the import function. As I mentioned, it's in the top toolbar, and it just brings that same drop-down menu as I showed in my slides. Below the import function, you will see this navigation area, and this navigation area is just where all the data is stored. And you'll notice like I have a folder here called wastewater, and that's where we'll be looking at a lot of the data and things that I've present, uh, prepared for today's talk. And then below this navigation area is our toolbox. And when I talked about that biomedical genomics analysis plugin, when we install that plugin, it brings in a whole host of uh, uh, pre-designed pre workflows that we can use as base or uh, specific workflows that um, maybe are uh, used for chi-seeking chi -seek samples such as uh, the chi-seq direct kit for SARS-CoV-2 sequencing. As I was saying, today's data, it came in from SRA. I didn't need to go to the SRA website. I can do everything within the application. It makes life really easy in order to do that. And you can imagine, you know, for, you know, putting together like a case study, uh, I, I have a couple customers that I help with wastewater samples, um, but then the, the fact that they're public health labs, uh, you know, we had to get lawyers involved and, you know, we try to get their data, but it was dragging out for about a month or so just with legal and things along those lines. So I did some searching at SRA to see, well, can I find some data that I think could be useful for, you know, this type of uh, talk? And of course, you know, we can use a lot of different search terms up here. So I just started with, you know, SARS, for instance, and just started searching. Um, and of course, with that sort of general search term of SARS, you can see here that there was about three million, uh, three and a half million findings. So I needed to be a bit more specific as to how I was looking for this data. And I just kind of dwindled that search down by looking at waste water, right? And adding that as an, uh, oop, and adding that as an additional, you know, parameter to my searching. And as we can see by adding these uh, different parameters, we're getting ourselves down to a more maybe manageable, you know, data set that we can find. Um, and then in this case, I actually did it a couple different ways. Like I looked specifically for uh, the direct kit, which would be the Kyogen data. Um, 
and wanted to see if there was anything available for this. And, and we can see, for instance, you know, there are actually 60 experiments. Um, when I first looked at it, there, definitely some of this has come in more recently. Um, and what I've done in this uh, for today's case was looked at one specific study here, this SRP354651. Uh, um, this was about 21 different um, samples. And uh, when we look at some of the uh, metadata, uh, the main reason why I was sort of, why I use these samples um, was I, I kind of looked at the collection date. And so in the, if I looked at this collection date, you can see here uh, from about September, late September into the early portion of this year. Um, if you look at the, the second study here, it's actually picking up from, there's some February samples that were posted and things along those lines, which would be fun to kind of play with. Uh, I did not see them the first time I ran this. Anywho, my goal was really to see some samples that were uh, hopefully Delta samples. And I'm thinking, you know, my goal was hoping that these from late November timeframe would be in that Delta range. And then as we start seeing samples into, you know, early January, I was hoping to be able to, you know, pick up some, some Omicron variants. And then of course, the, the ultimate goal would be, you know, is there a sample where I can potentially see both of those variants being present um, in different co concentrations? So, you know, is there a sample where, you know, there's a, the emerging of Omicron or maybe a, a dwindling of the Delta variant um, within the community as Omicron was, became the more uh, dominant strain? Um, anyhow, those those were sort of what I was looking for when I was downloading the data and, and sort of my um, thought process. Of course, right, I'm, my goal here is to make something that seems useful from a, a, a uh, demonstration and also, you know, uh, meaningful for, for you guys to join and watch. Um, you can see here in my navigation area, I have some Arctic V3. This was all direct kit. Um, the Arctic data that I processed was about 50 samples from a given study, and, and I wasn't able to find that sort of uh, transition. Uh, those were some Kentucky samples. So again, there's a lot of data available in SRA, I think is what I'm trying to get at. Um, and just to give you a sense of what I was looking at um, in today's purpose. <clears throat> All right, so um, for downloading this data, I just made the selection. You can see here, download reads and metadata. And I, in this case, I really just discarded the read name uh, to save some disk space. Um, that's all that is, is really the, the sequencing name that's uh, given for each read. Um, I did want the quality score because I can use that for things like variant calling and, and such. Um, and for the download, I just downloaded all of it and told it to save that into a specified location. Um, and that data location was just simply in my Washington State folder. And then uh, within this, you can see I have a folder called reads. And so this is where all those reads were downloaded and brought into my application. Um, again, uh, just from that study perspective, uh, just from that data perspective, we can see here, um, uh, this was just an FDA uh, experiment, uh, registration date in September. Um, and again, I just wanted to make sure I pulled this up those additional uh, direct samples are also from an FDA um, 
uh, a pandemic response project for monitoring SARS-CoV-2 variants um, and wastewater. And so it is something that, um, you know, they're continuing to do as well. And so um, now that we kind of talked about, you know, installing the biomedical uh, genomics plugin, how you would potentially read, uh, import your reads, and just to, at least to define uh, what data I'm going to be using for today, I want to get into the application itself and talk about, well, you know, how we can uh, process this data once we've uh, brought it into the application. All right, so once I've downloaded all of that data, as I mentioned, and I installed the biomedical plugin, what we can see is that there's a host of template workflows that are available. The second drop-down menu here for biomedical workflows, we can see that there are uh, some available specifically for identifying SARS-CoV-2 workflows. Right now, those are for Arctic V3, I, uh, ion AmpliSeq and identify Kaiaseq's COVID-2 um, workflows. There was a question about, you know, what about other workflows? Um, as they come out, uh, you know, really it's just a matter of bringing in appropriate reference files. Um, and so modifying these workflows uh, to, to sort of work on different um, types of data or for different um, amplicon sets uh, isn't very difficult. and obviously something that we could address in a more detailed type of training. For today's purpose, we were looking at the Kaiaseq SARS-CoV-2 workflow. And I'm gonna show you one thing is that, you know, these workflows are really good templates. And what I mean by that is if we click on one of them and, or just highlight one, it's highlighted in blue, we can right click on it and say, open a copy of the workflow. So these templates are really multiple step workflows where we can see here that the input is your paired end Illumina FASTQ files. And this workflow goes through like an iterative process, meaning that it's gonna take you know, uh, many samples in and run them independently. And then the reason why there's a, an iterate function is that we've actually incorporated the ability to like sort of um, collect results and build these combined reports at the very end. So just to give you a sense of what's going on in this workflow, um, we're trimming reads um, and we're removing adapters from those uh, reads as well. And you can see here for those trimming parameters, um, if we double click on any of those steps, we can actually go into those parameters and you'll notice that these parameters currently are locked. Um, and that's if we were just to run this workflow, these would be the default settings. And you wouldn't really, you wouldn't be able to change whether you were doing quality trimming or not during the execution of this workflow by, by default. Of course, I'm showing how you can open those workflows in a copy, and then you could easily modify any of these existing workflows saying, I want to be able to tell it whether or not to trim on quality scores during execution, and you would just simply open that copy of the workflow, make the modifications that you want, and then save your own version of a, a given workflow. So you can see here, we're trimming the reads. Once we've trimmed the reads, we map them to a reference sequence. And this reference sequence is gonna be defined by this um, input file. And this reference is also gonna be used in generating a genome browser view that's created by this workflow. Um, and you know we can also see that uh, 
uh, we're defining like target primer regions. We're looking at and identifying low frequency variants and then uh, generating two real, really two different lists here. One where we have, you know, an unfiltered variant list. And then lastly, we have this sort of variant list that's above a, fr a certain fr threshold. And by default right now, it's just set at uh, above 50%. So again, there's a lot of options here for, you know, taking these pre-built workflows, making changes or modifying those workflows if need be. But actually for today's purpose, I simply ran this with the default settings. And just to show the ease of execution, we can just simply come in and double click on the identify Kyocid SARS-CoV-2 uh, variants, low frequency variants. And everything is going to be set up as a wizard-driven uh, function. And so here we can see it just says select your, your paired-end uh, data set. And in this case, we have these 21 samples. And I'll just simply, uh, we can do it this way. We'll right-click on this and just say add contents, add folder contents. And we can see all 21 samples are selected to be processed. By clicking next here, we were able to select the reference data set. And so in this case, we're using the Kyocid uh, direct SARS-CoV-2. Um, and we can see, for instance, you know, if we were using like an Arctic kit um, or, oh, here we go, Arctic Kyocid uh, SARS-CoV-2 Arctic V4. So that sort of answers the question, I hope, for the V4. Um, and really, it's just a matter of, um, selecting what reference that you need to be using uh, based on what kit you used. Um, and if you don't have the appropriate references or if it's the first time you're running it, you'll notice that right now this download to workbench um, became active. And so before I can go to the next step, I would actually have to download the references that I don't have. So during the execution of the workflow, you don't even need to go ahead and download references ahead of time. Whatever you don't have, it will uh, go ahead and download the appropriate um, the appropriate reference files. And in this case, for the um, batching or how I wanna sort of process these samples, I'm actually gonna be able to just use the organization of the data. There's one really set, one read, uh, pair one pair of reads for each sample. Um, now, if I had like, you know, uh, multiple uh, files per sample. I may want to use some metadata and we have some other uh, sessions where we get into more detail about the use of metadata specifically. So here we can see by clicking next, we get to just see what are the batch overview um, for this workflow. And right now you can see for each of the units, it's for each set of reads and they're defined just by this SRR number. Um, which is the name of the file that I have in the workbench. So what this would do is run each sample in series. So in my workbench, it would just take, you know, it would run sample 789 and then finish that and run 355, for instance. For the results that I looked at today, and honestly, for the results that I've talked to for a couple of the customers that are using the workbench in wastewater, um, they have been using just the default settings um, with, 
you know, pretty good success or actually with success. Uh, we haven't gone through and changed uh, any of really the default settings at this point in time. Um, but again, you know, if that's something that needs to be done, you know, with that workflow, we can always open a copy of it, make modifications and, and see what needs to be changed. Um, but again, for right now, I've found pretty good success running it uh, with the default settings and, and really the results that we see today were run with those uh, default settings. So, you know, remove variants uh, that had a frequency below 10%. And again, this is just what would be called in the variant file. All right, so it doesn't go in and modify the read mapping, and that's kind of going to be uh, paramount to what we're going to do as we move forward in the analysis. All right, so we're going to move variants below a certain um, uh, frequency. Um, we remove. And then uh, again, so these are just removing variants uh, to sort of create our three different variant lists, the unfiltered, um, and then the low frequency list, and then of course the high frequency list, which would be above uh, at this point in time, 20%. And then when we get to the end here, you can actually preview all the parameters. So you can imagine, in, especially in the direct kit, this is something that we're pretty familiar with the data. And so it's something that we can actually, you know, go ahead and make sure, you know, is um, hopefully optimized for the type of data that we should expect to see coming into uh, the analysis. Of course, wastewater uh, opposes oppose just some, you know, I would say additional downstream um, interrogation, and that's what we'll be looking at. When we get to this step, last thing I'll always point out here is that you can export all the parameters. And so if you need to you know, capture the parameters that were used for the analysis, uh, it's extremely easily done within the application by just simply exporting it um, as, say, a PDF format or so. When we get to the last step, when we run workflows, just keep in mind, you will not be able to open the results. And that's really just because, you know, again, we're talking about a workflow. There could be, you know, 20 samples I'm processing, maybe 15 different outputs for each sample. And that could just become very cumbersome to open all of those objects. And so when we talk about workflows, you will you'll notice that open is grayed out. We can only save those results. Um, and, you know, personally, I like to save a workflow meta results metadata table, and I do like log, um, log op logging the uh, workflow as well, just so I can see where it is in the analysis. Um, I already created this, and what I did was I just went into the Washington State folder. I said, we're going to create a new folder here, and I called it results, and I'm just going to flag it with a dash one right now. Uh, because I've already you know, ran this with the, the results and I will just simply click OK. This will just tell it to save all the results into this folder. And if we just say, you know, finish, this you know, starts the analysis uh, within the application. And if we'll look here under processes, we can see that here is the identify workflow that we have running. And if we want to, we can show that log information and within that log information, what we see is a timestamp and then information about you know, what it's doing, um, what sample is it processing. Um, these are really beneficial when I have to go back and, and, and troubleshoot a data set, maybe 
you know, there was a failure someplace. Um, and we can really use these log files to see, you know, maybe there was a step that removed all the reads. Um, say for instance, there were no quality scores with the, the, the reads and I did quality trimming, you know, I may see something with, well, where the trimmed reads removed all the reads. Um, and so that's just a typical place I've, I've seen sort of those issues come in. And again, you know, I like to use log files for sort of identifying what's going wrong or if there is anything wrong. And currently this is all just running on my little laptop. Uh, so, you know, I'm not running this on some you know, powerful computer at this point in time, <laughs> an older from 2017 MacBook Pro with like 16 gigs of RAM. Um, and I believe this took about um, I don't know. I thought I saved the uh, just like you know, for processing the the twenty one samples on my laptop, you know, took me about an hour and a half just to give everyone a sense of you know how long could it potentially take. Um, we do have you. Uh, 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 we do have products and solutions for higher volume sampling or, or processing uh, you know, higher volume samples. Uh, but again, today's purpose was really more of a, you know, how could I actually do any of this types of analysis in the workbench? And you know, really an hour and a half to process 21 samples uh, on my laptop isn't really you know, too horrendous. Let me just take a quick look, see if there's anything I should. Okay, so, um, uh, all right, let me just kind of circle back. Uh, right, so we talked about the data for today. Uh, again, running the appropriate workflow, just to kind of summarize, uh, when we download the biomedical workbench uh, plugin, we do have three uh, pre-built workflows um, for Arctic V3, um, AmpliSeq, Ion AmpliSeq, and the KaiaSeq uh, COVID-2 um, direct kit. Along those same lines, you know, really from the executional point of view, we're just simply selecting our reads that we want to process. Um, and once we've selected our reads that we want to process, it's of course just making sure that we're using the appropriate reference uh, or appropriate uh, references that will link back to the kits that we're using for uh, for the uh, generating the results. All right. Um, and so when we talk about the results, I'm just going to stop this because there's really no reason to have it run in the background. Uh, when we talk about the results here, uh, the workflow will put everything into a structured uh, output. So what we can see here is my results folder that I had created uh, previously. Within our results folder, we'll have a uh, file or folder, excuse me, for each sample that we process. So we'd have 21 of these SRR folders. Each of those folders will have the results for the individual sample. And then within that individual sample, we try to break it down to make it easier to digest. There's a genome browser view. This is uh, great for putting together um, a graphical representation of the read mapping for that uh, individual sample, a list of the mutations that were called for that specific sample. And of course, the benefit here is that these are going to be linked together. 
Meaning if I click anywhere in this sort of variant table, it will bring me directly to that position in the, the genome browser view up top. Now, diving into individual samples, I would say isn't necessarily where I'm gonna start when I look at sort of wastewater uh, uh, or data in general. Um, the workflow itself will actually put together a couple um, group level results. Um, I probably, me personally, I start at the summary report. Um, and the reason why is it gives me a good sense of, you know, really the quality of the data. Um, if we look at this data, we can see there is a pretty, uh, a pretty large um, range of just the number of reads. Uh, and we can see for some, there's about 2 million or two to two to 3 million reads. Um, and we can see there's a group of reads where we're in the more of the half a million um, uh, number of reads. Uh, if I look at the metadata, I believe these just had some different uh, upstream um, processing. But again, we can just get a quick sense of, uh, you know, what's going on in the, in the data. Uh, when I look at this, um, yeah, generally speaking, I'm going to start really in like the read mapping range where I can see, you know, what is the percent of my reads that are mapping and, and not mapping, if you will. Um, and so just from that read summary, for instance, you can see a couple of samples that are getting flagged um, just because they had, you know, uh, fewer fewer reads that are mapping in comparison to the others, right? And so they, these three samples, for instance, were in that 85%, you know, reads that were mapping and roughly 15% of the reads that were not mapping to the reference genome. Um, so those would potentially, you know, have some relatively red flags, um, or, you know, maybe if I don't have a good consensus with, for those sequences, you know, I could potentially understand that. I would probably utilize this as a way of going back and maybe looking at what were the CT values for those samples, right? Were there some other, um, you know, reasons why, you know, those samples, maybe I had issues ca capturing uh, the data for that. Um, so again, utilizing that read mapping information and really uh, between the read mapping information and just really looking at the numbers of reads that were mapping, um, I generally would also look at the, just the QC for targeted regions. Um, and what I would look at here is, is just, you know, are there regions that have low coverage and is there, you know, samples that have larger percentages of that? Um, for instance, you can see the target region is actually, I'll call it the source uh, annotation, right? It's the whole genome that we're using here, the 29,000 uh, bases. And what we can see is like a median coverage. When that median coverage is higher, or if the coverage is higher than the median, you'll notice it is also getting flagged. So there's some samples that we have really high coverage on. In addition, we can also see there are, there's at least one here, sample 351, uh, where the median coverage is super low at 68. Additionally, you also notice that uh, there is 49% um, of that genome that I, I have low, low coverage on. And so, you know, when we start diving into the results here, you know, we may see, um, you know, maybe this sample not having a lineage assigned to it, right? Because there's too many ends in the consensus sequence or whatnot. So just because I sequenced it, I mapped some of the, the reads, doesn't mean that we're always gonna end up with, you know, great results. Um, I think that's, you know, indicative of dealing with things like wastewater samples and things along those lines. So again, 
you know, when we look at this from a QC perspective, you know, I looked at the read mapping summary just to see, you know, are there any samples that, you know, I don't have really good data for. Um, and then additionally, in the QC for targeted regions, um, we can utilize this as another way of seeing, you know, are there samples that maybe, you know, aren't great for um, the analysis and things along those lines. <clears throat> So once we, like I said, I'm probably going to be using this summary report as my sort of litmus test. And again, our goal really is to understand, you know, what strains are here. Um, and, you know, one thing that we don't have integrated into the workbench is just Pangolin, uh, but it is something easily uh, that we can easily use. Uh, so things like Pangolin or Nextplate. Um, and so what we would want to be able to do is take, you know, a list of consensus sequences um, and if we look here, we can see that there's a consensus sequence list folder, and there's a consensus sequence that's been extracted from the read mapping for each of these samples. All right. And so what I would want to be able to do is take these consensus sequences and um, utilize Pangolin to, you know, identify the strain, for instance. And so to easily export these sequences, we can just go up to the export function in the top toolbar. Um, I baited it with just typing in FASTA because that's the type of file format I want to export. And I'm going to just choose FASTA from this list for exporting formats. Now it's just going to simply say, well, what do you want to export? Um, I find it easiest when I want to select everything inside of a folder to just simply right click on this consensus sequence list folder and say add the contents. So here you can see 21 sequences are selected. And I'm going to just simply click next. The thing here, uh, when we export this, um, I simply will export this as a single object. So I'm gonna make a, effectively a multiple FASTA file. And I'm gonna just simply use the name for the first sample that I'm putting in here, the first consensus sequence. And so you'll just see that it's using this SRR number for the first consensus in the list. All of them will be in this list and we can just simply say export and tell it where we want to export that um, output. So here we can see that it just export that as a fast file or .fa to my, I chose my desktop um, and just, oh, don't open it in Workbench. I'm sorry. And I mean, it's really not that fun, but I always like to just point out, you know, it is a specifically a text file. And we can see here the name of the consensus sequence um, and as we scroll down, we'll find, you know, additional consensus sequences that are in here. So again, just a multiple FASTA file, any places where there was like low coverage or, um, you know, uh, variants that we couldn't uh, sort of uh, work out, we can see, you know, ends being added potentially into the consensus sequence. All right, nothing overly interesting there, but I'll grab my Pangolin uh, website. So I'm just simply going to Pangolin here. And to use this, we can either drag and drop your sequence list in here um, and just say, start the analysis. Uh, of course, this will just start the analysis running on uh, Pangolin server. And it really doesn't take long to establish the different strains for these samples.
just kind of take a quick look at the Q&A or uh, might give me a quick uh, second just to answer some questions at this point in time. Um, so some things that I'll, I'll just point out that I note right here. So you can see, for instance, like some samples, um, you know, were unable to be processed with pangolin. These were ones where, yeah, yep, yeah, we're we're we are looking at dominant strain right now, Stacy. Our goal currently is to simply identify dominant strain, and we're going to work towards looking at minor alleles in just a moment. All right. So again, we can see here just some of the samples that didn't fit, and really, usually, it is a, a function of just not having the appropriate um, content uh, with regards to the uh, within your consensus sequence. Um, and what we can see here, we have some sublineages for uh, the Delta variant uh, within some of these samples. Uh, we have some uh, Omicron variants as well. Um, and then we have some, well, what I would have pointed out, um, you know, some of that seem maybe to may, uh, want me to potentially explore further uh, just because, you know, they weren't a single lineage uh, that, were that was denoted by, say, pangolin. And so, like I said, we're we're going to continue to progress. So um, when we talk about data QC, as I mentioned, um, it is a structured format. Um, generally speaking, the, the summary report is where I would uh, jump into looking at sort of my QC just to get a sense of what's going on. Um, again, we can see some of those samples that failed like that uh, 351. Uh, I, I could have told you it was going to fail just because of the lack of coverage in my QC. And so, um, you know, I probably would have a sense of what samples may fail prior to looking at the lineage. Um, but again, um, you know, we could of course process all of that um, where we went into the, excuse me, consensus list um, and chose to export that consensus list as a FASTA file. Um, with that FASTA file, we were able to export it just as a single object and take and drop and drag, drop and drag that into Pangolin to identify the different strains within our sample, right? You can actually take and download this, uh, you know, this list of information and bring it in uh, for, you know, I'll, if we have time, I can get into SNP trees or, or something along those lines, but we can utilize that for, for metadata. But of course you can, you know, use this as a table uh, that would have denotion of variants within uh, or information about the strain per sample. So again, that's just one side of what we wanted to be able to do, right? That is just simply looking at what would potentially be the dominant strain, right, in our sample. But when we talk about wastewater, there's a little bit more that we want to look at, right? And that little bit more that we want to look at is, you know, are there sub, you know, is there an emerging strain? Is there a subpopulation, you know, within that? And so um, to sort of look at this sub, uh, look for sub alleles within the mapping, um, what we want to do is actually download samples from SRA for known strains, right? And when I say that, I wouldn't be using wastewater. Um, I would, you know, I would pretend, you know, there's many ways that you could uh, do this. Um, you know, I, I did a small subset. I, I, I don't necessarily have a, an established, well, I would want to have 20 samples. Um, one would potentially want to make sure that you have samples that are representative 
of the different um, alleles that would be um, indicative of that specific variant. So what I did, I downloaded uh, strains for Omicron and Delta from SRA. I ran them using the default workflow, very similar to what we just did. But then I used the shared variants that were called um, after establishing that they were, you know, just Omicron and not some sublineage. Um, I, I then was able to create a shared variant list that we could then test my mapping files against. So when we start going down the, the looking for sublineages, we're going to be looking through mapping files, right? And so that way I can look for very low frequency uh, variants. I just simply need to know where to look. So again, for this case, you know, I downloaded data from SRA. So again, I went into that upper right-hand corner, um, except for the search term this time was more like, you know, a specific variant like Omicron, you know, SARS, uh, paired data, maybe I wanted, you know, Arctic V3, or I, you know, again, I can use my search term however I see fit. And when I downloaded that data, um, you know, I wanted to make sure I ran the appropriate workflow, you know, for that specific, you know, data set. And then I took all of the consensus sequences and ran them against, you know, Pangolin to go, okay, well, you know, what is the lineage that was established for those samples? And so I selected, you know, five, again, you know, I potentially want to have larger sample volumes, um, you know, for building and uh, for, for doing this potentially, um, or uh, just verify the variants are all that I want to uh, make sure that are covered. But in this case, I just selected the, the four here that I knew were um, uh, Omicron variant or Omicron lineage. I did the same thing for the Delta and I created a shared variant list for those, those four samples. All this is doing is giving me a place to go, all right, now I'm gonna take and give you any mapping file and I'm gonna give you this variant list. And I want you to look at this mapping file and look at you know, basically cross-reference the positions in that variant list to the positions in my read mapping file. And I wanna be able to understand what variants are, are present and what at what frequency you know, are they in the mapping file. And so uh, just to really kind of reiterate this within the, uh, the workbench, Again, simply went to download search reads at SRA with, you know, baiting for Omicron. And, you know, um, SARS and paired was what I used. Um, and then, oop, don't want any empty ones. And so I searched for this as a way of just sort of getting a, a sense of maybe finding, you know, reads, uh, samples that belong to, you know, an Omicron uh, dominant um, lineage. Um, that I could potentially use for establishing uh, basically a reference set of variants. <clears throat> um, yeah, so again, I, I went through here, I downloaded, you know, a, a variety of samples. So that way I could establish that uh, reference set. 
And I didn't do anything different here other than you know download reads and metadata. And I saved those into a specific folder uh, that I called you know Omicron ref samples, if you will. And again, um, I had to know which pipelines they used or what you know sampling you know uh, kits that they used in order to run the appropriate workflow. Um, I believe in this case this was the um, And so what I did in this case, these were actually Arctic V3 samples. So, you know, I ran the data through this Arctic V3 pipeline for all of the reads. You know, nothing different at this point in time um, where I left everything as default. So that way I was keeping things as, as similar as possible, right? And so I just ran, in this case, you can see uh, six or five or six samples, six samples. Um, and that just simply generated the same types of results that we saw at, when I processed the individual data. And once again, I simply just took the consensus list, right, made that selection and exported this as a FASTA file. And then now within Pangolin, I just uploaded a new file and used that sort of reference set, right? My goal is to make sure that, you know, the data that we're processing, you know, or the, what I'm going to be using to, to sort of establish a, a baseline, you know, set of variants belong, all belong to the, the appropriate lineage and are of the same lineage, if you will. Right now, you know, if I was, um, it would be beneficial to go back and you know make sure that you know all the specific hotspot variants that you would expect are available you know within those samples. Um, one thing you can see here, like this one was labeled at B1 versus you know these uh, these four or, or sorry five that were uh, BA1. So what I uh, utilized were all the ones that had the WHO name of Omicron. So those specific samples, I said, okay, well, they have, they belong to the same lineage and I want to know, do I have that lineage in any of my uh, wastewater samples? And so what we could do is say, all right, those samples are belonging to the appropriate um, lineage. And now I want to create a list of variants that are specific to those five samples. So we can simply utilize our tools for um, within our resequencing analysis specifically um um the and within the variant comparison and we want to identify shared variants and what we want to do is select the five samples that we um that we'll say are of b1 BA1, and what we would want to select are going to be the variants that passed um, the cutoffs. So that would be our variants above 50% uh, frequency, because that would be what was used really to establish the consensus sequence. Just 33 is the only one that I don't want.
And so I'm just, uh, I have Pangolin open up on my other uh, screen. And so I know that this sample 33 was the one uh, that did not uh, have the same lineage. So I'm going to select the four samples that did, click next. And my frequency threshold here is zero because I'm just gonna say, if it's in any one of those four samples, I want it to be in this database. And I'm going to just simply save that file. And hit finish. And so now what we've created is just simply a file of the variants that are present in either one or all right, of those samples. So we can see some are present in just a single sample, but many of these are present in all of them. And I can see that simply by opening that shared variant list, and you can see the sample frequency. You know, the ones that are at 25 were just found in one sample. We can see, you know, that is like what, a handful, five of them, uh, two that were just found in three, and then the majority of the 59 variants were actually found in all four of the Omicron samples. All right, so again, this would be done both for the Omicron variants and for the Delta variants <laughs> to effectively establish just a, hey, this is gonna be my baseline sort of variants that I, that I, I want to cross-reference and know, are those present in my read mapping file? All right, so the easiest way to sort of build this, um, to build a workflow that's gonna be able to process this would be to utilize our workflow editing functionality in the upper right-hand corner. And when we click on it, we can just start a new workflow. And the workflow that we want to build is really a workflow that is going to identify mutations from a mapping. And what this does is it, takes a variant list and it uses the positions in that variant list to then go look in a read mapping file to say, what do I have at that specific position? Now, the workflow we wanna build, I wanna potentially be able to test more than one database at a time. And so what we would want to work on is building <clears throat> a workflow that would you know, have an input um, I always like to use iterate functions because it basically builds this uh, batch type of uh, ability already into the application or into the workflow. And so I'm just simply gonna say, add those two steps. I have an input and now this input, I'm gonna simply click on the little bottom box that now turns into green and I'm gonna drag that to the input of iterate. And really all you can think about like iterate is really just to build a loop into a workflow. So that way, if I have 20 samples, this will just, I just have to say, here's 20 samples and it'll see each one of those as a potential unit and give me an output for each sample. Now, what I wanna test though, is I actually wanna test or identify mutations in, map, in my mapping for more than one variant track um, or more than one reference. So, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take the output here 
and connected to my read tracks. That's going to be the read mapping that we're going to put into it. But I'm going to do this more than once, right? And so say, for instance, in our example, we're just going to look at testing two different, um, we'll call it databases, right? Or variant lists. But you may have an emerging strain or something, you know, a group of uh, samples that didn't have a specific lineage or whatnot that you want to create a list for. And of course, any of these like variant, you know, variant files that we generate in the application can be used as sort of this variant track here. So let's just make this a little more easy to understand. What we're doing is we're taking our read mapping and we're going to test it for, let's call this, I'm going to just rename it by right clicking and say, you know, rename. And we're just going to call this identify known. Identify, we'll call it Omicron mutations from mapping. And this one over here, we'll rename and we'll call it Delta. All right, so now that the same mapping file, right, is going to go into both of these sort of uh, uh, to be cross-referenced uh, to these variant tracks. What I would also do uh, is for this variant track, I'm going to right click on it and just actually define what that is. And so I'm just saying it's a workflow input and we can predefine this as our Omicron shared variant. And now what I'll do is lock that down. So I'm not going to be asked what I need, uh, won't be asked for that input when we execute the workflow. Additionally, I would have followed those same steps of downloading Delta samples, doing my same workflow and blasting uh, using Pangolin to identify those strains. And I've already done that. I, I just didn't want to have to do everything twice. And so what we're going to do now, though, is take the variant uh, track Again, right click and say connect to a workflow input. And we're going to define that workflow input as our variant set for Delta. And again, we can lock that down. Now, when I look at the output, there's a couple of different outputs here. Generally speaking, I prefer this just mutation track uh, uh, overview. Um, and so, when I, this is really the only output that I want to save from this, um, uh, from each of these sort of um, mutation testing uh, functionalities. And in my example here, um, one thing I like to do is to generate, um, uh, to have it so it generates specific uh, subdirectories. We can actually specify in our um, outputs here that we want to effectively use this, the name of the file. So here you can see in my output name, I have a slash, which would start a folder. The name of the input, I wanted to generate a Delta folder and then call this Delta variant overlap. So with these workflows, we can be a little more, uh, can incorporate organization in it as well by generating file or folder structures. And we can just simply you know, specify that within the naming convention. So here's our workflow that I wanna run where we have our Omicron variant, our Delta variants, 
And once we built this workflow, uh, we would need to save it. So just call it Control Shift S. I like to give it a, a meaningful name. So you can see here, we'll call it Mutation Test. And now once we've saved it, what I generally will do is create this installer. And now the benefit of this installer is the fact that we keep information about you know, who generated the workflow. Um, I like it because it gives me a versioning control. Uh, basically, if we go back and make some changes, maybe I modify a database or I wanna add uh, a new uh, lineage that's coming out, um, we can you know, say, hey, we, we added um, you know, some other, um, Right. I, I added some other XYZ strain that we want to do mutation testing against as well. Uh, lastly, this is also potentially useful because I can bundle this together as well. So if I want to make a workflow for somebody else, I can actually simply bundle the references that I'm creating and create an installer to share with others. But for today's purpose, I'm going to ignore. And I'm just installing it on my local machine. And now all it does is creates a tool in my work, my workbench under installed workflows for, in this case, you can see mutation testing. All right. So again, uh, just to kind of reiterate, we downloaded some samples that were specific to uh, a, a given lineage that we wanted. I used my workflows to effectively generate a consensus sequence and used Pangolin just to verify that I was those were of the appropriate lineage. And then I took the ones that were, right, and I generated a database of those specific mutations. Uh, again, we could use four samples, I could use 50 samples, um, and we can, we can then verify what mutations were are shared across all of those samples. I then generate a workflow just by creating uh, a new workflow in the upper right-hand corner. And this is just a workflow editor where we can interact with it and add the, the tools that we wanted. And in this case, we had a workflow input, which is going to be our read mapping. That goes into an iterate function. And from that iterate, we really just did the identify mutations from mapping and in this case, we did it twice because we had Delta and Omicron that we were comparing. But if we had three, four, or five, we could just simply have um, multiple identify, identify mutations in a uh, mapping file. And one thing, like, like I said, I mean, we could look here uh, within the results. Um, we're gonna dive into 785 just because, you know, when I see something where I see multiple, like, sub lineages or things that didn't seem you know, to jive, I can start diving into those results. Um, and so when we look back into the workbench, um, again, when we run this workflow, I'll just run it real quick. Our input is just really the um, mapping files. So I can just simply go to the results folder and say add contents recursively. And you'll notice the 21 mapping files have been added here. The input, uh, is really already organized appropriately. There's one input per sample, and we can see that that is what we're overviewing in the batch units as well. 
there wasn't any parameters. I didn't leave anything unlocked in that ex in that workflow. So it is really a matter of what's the input and where do you want the output. Again, we can always preview the parameters that are being utilized um, uh, within the um, within the workflow. Uh, this is actually really quick when it runs, so I'll just let it execute, but we can just simply see I launched that uh, mutation testing um, and it's going to go utilize the mapping file right for each sample and then look at the specific positions defined in the database or the variant file that we we baited it with. And now we will be able to get a table that will be able to sort of navigate through and see when we we start to notice. Um, well, we can see different uh, the variants in those database at different frequencies. So just bear with me. And like I said, it takes just a few moments. I don't know where to put it. So yeah, um, one thing, like I said, I just looked at and I'm like, oh, well, where did I put, oh, there it is, it's right below it. Um, but from this process, these, uh, we can always go to like, you know, sh uh, uh, find results or show results. Find is a better one because what it will do is you'll notice open the location and show me the results for those files. Um, what we can see here, you know, I have now a, a file for Delta and Omicron for each of my samples. As I mentioned, ones that had just maybe a single lineage, I'm not overly uh, interested in, but I can of course go into any of these variant tables. And within this variant list, we can see all the mutations that were called for, uh, or that are part of that database. And what we will see all the way over here towards the right-hand side is what is the prevalence of that mutation in the mapping file for sample 355, for instance. So this column right here was, you know, the coverage, it was the mapping coverage high enough in uh, in sample 355 and you see yes. And we can see, was it detected in sample 355? Yes. And what was the frequency in sample 355 for that specific mutation? So in this case, you can see this sample 355 was actually called uh, uh, a Delta variant and if we look at the Omicron overlap for this sample, for instance, we can see here the frequency of these variants for that are known for Omicron are extremely low, many of them below um, even 1%. Actually, most of them. There are a few that we can see that are, um, you know, at 100%, but these are ones that are also shared uh, with uh, the Delta reference sequence. <clears throat> so as I mentioned, uh, you know, one of the samples that just kind of seemed a little weird to me was just that um, 785, just because it didn't really have one specific lineage. Um, and so that was something that I just wanted to, you know, go in, you know, I, I wanted to inspect further. Um, showing all the results made it open all these for me. Um, and so let me just, so here we can see 785. 
Um, and if we look, for instance, at you know, sample 785 for our delta mutations, uh, one thing that we'll note here is that our delta mutation frequencies, albeit are present, we can see that those frequencies are anywhere between, you know, they're above 20% uh, for the most part, but we do have some that are below uh, 20% in that 17% range. Um, and quite similarly, if we look at like the Omicron variants and the overlap between those, uh, we can see that there are, you know, a presence of these Omicron variants as well. Some at, you know, uh, the similar sort of 50-50% uh, frequency, some a bit higher. Um, I'm going to say that this uh, region right here was probably difficult to cover in uh, the wastewater samples versus, um, you know, what I saw in uh, some of the um, sort of, I'll call it patient samples, uh, rather than uh, um, the wastewater specifically. <clears throat> so a way of, again, starting to see some of these other variants that are, you know, present in, in the samples. And I believe as well, if we look at, was it uh, 33? I'm just going up here to look at some of the samples, 89, for instance, maybe. Uh, what I wanted to see, so 89 sample, I call it 789, for instance, uh, was classified as an Omicron um, uh, lineage. And of course, if we you know look at that, we can see where you know there's a high frequency of those specific mutations. I'm just seeing if there was one where you know we could also see the presence of you know a low frequency. Yeah, in a way, right? Low frequency, you know, delta uh, uh, variants as well within that population. Again, you can see it's at like one percent. You know, whereas the Omicron variants for this specific sample were much higher. If we had more reference databases that we had created, and again, I could easily generate them within the application, um, or have any variant file, VCF file, and just say, you know, cross-reference my mapping to that, you know, variant list. And again, I keep emphasizing the fact that it's the mapping, right? It's not cross-referencing variant files. And so we can detect or at least tell you, you know, is, that is there evidence of that variant in my read mapping and at extremely low frequencies um, at that point in time, right? It'll just say, oh, it's at 0.15%. It doesn't care what it is. It's just simply telling you, you know, that, it was present and at what frequency within your data. So again, when I looked at Pangolin, when I saw those samples, like I said, you know, I went in to look at this one just because it wasn't a specific lineage. Um, uh, and, and we could see both that the evidence of Delta and uh, Omicron in that specific sample. Um, I did look at some of these other ones as well that didn't have, um, you know, a they were actually sub-lineages of uh, B117 uh, or uh, Delta. Uh, but yeah, I didn't, I looked at them, but I didn't really see evidence of uh, Omicron in, in these samples. And so there may have been, you know, a different um, sub-lineage that I just didn't cross-reference for those specific um, mutations. <clears throat> Again, for the evidence, uh, you know, we were able to, you know, open up a variant list and, you know, really I scrolled all the way over to the right-hand side 
Um, and when I visualize it, uh, generally I would use this right-hand side panel and just get rid of a lot of those mutation, a lot of those additional columns. Uh, but we could see when there was detection of a mutation um, in those read mappings. And again, you can see that, you know, it will report it out, you know, really just if there is presence of that within those read mappings. And so really, I mean, that's all I wanted to kind of cover for today. I mean, there's a couple of other odds and ends we might be able to, to jump into, but I didn't want to go, didn't want it to be too heavy and not be able to go into enough detail or not have enough time to answer questions. So I guess at this point in time, uh, you know, for the last five, 10 minutes or so, you know, if there are any questions or anything along those lines, I'd be happy to answer to the best of my ability.